Our first reading is from the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of, hev of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat every of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much, Johnny. It's really an honor to be here. It's my first time here, and I'm getting to preach, which I don't know if that um, should be something of great excitement for you guys or of great dread uh, that Johnny brought me here without knowing me super well, but I've, it's been great meeting up with Johnny and getting to know him, and um, it's an, truly an honor to be here. My name is Callum Hark Raider, like Raiders of the Lost Hark. So it's quite a mouthful, and generally every time I speak anywhere, whoever introduces me gets up there and there's a sudden moment of panic as they go, oh gosh, how do you say his name again? So hats off to Johnny, you said my name exactly right. Callum means dove in Gaelic, and hark raider means hard ruler in Old German. So I am a walking contradiction, as I am dove hard ruler. But hopefully this uh, sermon will not be that way. In this theme you've been going through of uh, tough questions about Christianity, the question of liberty or freedom is in my experience, I've, I've spoken uh, to skeptics and believers in all over Europe, the US, and Africa, 
And I have to say, the question of liberty or, or personal freedom, especially in America, is probably one of the top objections or questions people have, at least underlying um, their other questions they might have. We're afraid of anybody having control over ourselves. We want to have final say. We do not want to give up our personal freedom or liberty to anyone. And so the call of Jesus to deny self, pick up a cross, and follow him is daunting. It is an important question to wrestle with. So starting off, I want you to um, just take a look at these three options. And the question to ask is, which one of these people is the most free? Which one is the most free? Is it a person who is not able to sin? Or is it the second one, a person who's both able to sin and able not to sin? Or the third person, a person who is not able not to sin? Which one is the most free? Now, my immediate reaction when I was going over this was, well, it's the second one. He has the most choice. He's able to do it, and he's able not to do it. But then as I kept thinking about it, I realized God isn't able to sin. God is goodness itself. He can't sin. It would be like saying God is a married bachelor. Mutually exclusive statements, they contradict themselves. God would be person number one. Am I saying I'm more free than the creator of the universe? I might want to think that through a little further. And we heard from this passage in Genesis. It's a famous story. Adam and Eve in the garden. They're given one restriction. They blow it. And they leave the garden. When were Adam and Eve the most free? When did they have the most liberty? Was it when they were in Eden? And there was a restriction. They could not eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Or was it post-Eden, when they were removed from the garden and there are no restrictions, technically, they can do whatever they want. When are they most free? I would argue it's when they're in the garden and there are boundaries in place for them. You see, there are two competing definitions of what liberty or freedom is, especially in America. The first one is the one culture tells you. Freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. The freedom of choice at all times. But that's not the definition of freedom according to the Bible. The Bible's definition is more like the ability to function the way God designed you to function the ability to function the way you were designed to function. So I have three quick points I want to go through with you as I make this argument that the Bible's freedom is far more free. First of all, boundaries oftentimes can lead to liberty. Boundaries can lead to liberty. Think about it. There's actually many examples of this in life. 
I used to uh, do a lot of acting as an undergrad. The motto of actors is, I can't, I have rehearsal. <laughs> hey, you want to go out for dinner afterwards? I can't, I have rehearsal. Hey, you want to study together? I can't, I have rehearsal. I don't know when I'm going to get that studying in. You give up many different freedoms and liberties and become, in some ways, the slave, the, 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 in bondage to your director, rehearsing over and over. But I tell you what, I love acting. And it means I can always say from the rest, for the rest of my life, oh, you can trust me, I played a doctor on stage. Um, when I am, was up there on stage, I was in Shakespeare's The Tempest. When I was doing Shakespeare, I felt very alive. But I had undergone many restrictions to be free to be in that play. There's so many examples of this you can think of, I'm sure. Athletes, the restriction of so many foods they cannot eat, so much time where they could have been watching their favorite show that instead they're exercising. But then they have the freedom, say, to play in the Olympics. Incredible restrictions, but a great freedom awarded them. Musicians also have to rehearse a lot. I got to be here early and, and listen to praise team warm up, and they're pretty awesome. You guys are spoiled. But they practice. That's a discipline. That's a boundary. Uh, if you're younger here, you've probably even within this week rolled your eyes at your parents because of restriction they placed on you. Do your chores and your homework before you get to play. Don't go outside of the yard. Different rules and boundaries they put in place, but actually they're for your good. Life isn't always fun. You need to learn to be responsible. You need to learn to do the homework first. If you're outside of the yard, you're outside of your parents' protection. Who knows what could happen to you? They're keeping you within their realm of being able to protect you. There are many boundaries that lead to actual liberty. Tim Keller, in The Reason for God, which is the book I think you were all given and maybe have read, says this, In many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating restrictions. Those that fit with the reality of our nature and the world produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and fulfillment. In many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. Keller goes on to point out that if discipline and hard work can lead to growth in every other area of life, why would that not also be true for your spiritual and moral growth? Why would it be different? There are restrictions in Christianity, for sure. But what Christianity does, as we saw in these passages, Jesus says in, in John 8, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Genesis, we see they are placed in the garden, and they are given work to do. They're given purpose, dominion over the earth and the animals, serving one another. They're given community, Adam, Eve, and God. 
And they're given intimacy with God. God is there with them. It says he walks in the garden with them. A beautiful message. But there were also restrictions. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On that day, you'll surely die. It's also important to note that even in the garden where there's a restriction, Adam and Eve, it wasn't like they couldn't eat from the tree. They did. So obviously God isn't saying, oh, and by the way, if you try and eat from that tree, it'll zap you. You can't, you can't touch it. No, he was saying, don't do it. It's better for you if you don't. But they still had the choice, and they did. Certain boundaries actually lead to liberty. Christianity is offering the liberty of the soul and the outworking that brings on your entire life. Also, point two, certain liberties lead to bondage. In the passage in John, the Jews are somewhat shocked to hear him say that they are sinful because they've, they're, they're children of Israel. They are from Abraham's lineage. They are God's chosen people. What is Jesus talking about? In verse 34, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, is in bondage to sin. There are many things in this world that look like freedom, but that actually capture you. Take uh, this picture, for example. Freedom. Set yourself free. Tommy Hilfiger. I have to walk past these in airports all the time. And I just, I smile and I also innerly weep. Buy this cologne and all this will happen to you. It's, it's, it's pretty over the top, wouldn't you agree? But this is a message that we are receiving all the time and probably buying into more than we think. We are oftentimes feel like if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a few more possessions, if I just had that Xbox 360 or whatever it is in your life, that material thing, then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be happy. If I just reached that summit. And it's just not true. Psychology, uh, I read a recent um, article by um, Boston College did a, a research on the, as they put it, super wealthy. And this was one of the quotes uh, from, the, from the article. They were interviewing only people who had $25 million or more. Robert Kinney is a psychologist who works for a firm that advises the uber-wealthy. He says this, sometimes I think that the only people in this country who worry more about money than the poor are the very wealthy. They worry about losing it. They worry about how it's invested. They worry about the effect it's going to have. And as the zeros increase, the dilemmas get bigger. The incredible thing was, of all these anonymous people who responded, 25 million or more, several billionaires, they all reported deep stress, broken friendships because they couldn't trust anyone. They're all after my money. Money is not going to bring you that freedom you're looking for. 
John D. Rockefeller, the first ever American billionaire, when he was asked, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. And he was a billionaire. But there are other, there are other things we want to, we hope will give us freedom that culture tells us, oh yes, if you just have the liberty to do these things, if you just gain this, it'll be. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe people-pleasing. It's a tough one for me. I always want to be pleasing. I always want to do what will make other people praise me. But the fact of the matter is, if you're always getting praised, but you're not actually perfect, you're missing out on some really great constructive feedback. And the thing is, you become an addict. I start living for that praise. I start living for good feedback. Oftentimes in culture, the promise is, oh, if you just have fun. There's so many commercials of people like climbing up mountains, and when they get to the top, there are these beers waiting for them, and they're like, woo, and they just, they're so cool, right? Just have fun. That's the temptation when you go off to school. I'm not that far removed from my undergrad years. Ah, you get free from your parents, free from bondage, free at last, free at last. Now you can live life to the max. You can do whatever you want. Peer pressure comes in. Party it up. Smoke this. Drink this. When I was an undergrad, the night before my first day of classes, my final semester, a fellow college student burst into my house, completely drunk, carrying a case of beers with him. And I, I helped him leave the house, and I went to get my coat because it was extremely cold. I was going to walk him uh, back. I knew where he lived. And before I got back onto the porch, a car came. He had run out into the road. People were freaking out. I, amazingly enough, I believe it was the work of God in that moment, I was so calm, was able to help him. I ended up having to stay up till 4 a.m., sitting there with him in the hospital, even though I hardly knew him, just explaining to all the different police and doctors what had happened to him. But I couldn't help but think, how free is this guy right now? How free is he? He then also was the terror of, my parents are going to find out, the terror of possibly getting suspended, the terror of what legal consequences. Let me be clear, not, none of these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. I'm not preaching to you a, a spiritual versus physical message. But when any of these things, when money, when food, when popularity, success, any of these things become the hope you have for freedom, when you're not anchored in ultimate freedom that can only come from God who designed you and knows what is best for you, these wonderful things become taskmasters, unfulfilling, dulling, disappointing. Tony Schwartz in the New York Times wrote a haunting article called The Enduring Hunt for Personal Value in which he said this, any single-minded pursuit unmoored to a deeper purpose 
has the potential to take on the characteristics of addiction. More and more is required to obtain the same high, and the compulsion of the pursuit prompts a growing sense of despair and unworthiness it is meant to solve. Interestingly enough, the highest suicide rates in the world are in the wealthiest nations in the world. Norway, the US, Sweden, the UK, Germany. They take on the characteristics of addiction. You need more and more of these things to get the same high you were getting earlier. And you're not free. Who is your master? Who is your master in life? My final point, truth sets us free. Jesus said, to the Jews that were gathered around him, if you abide in my word, you, you are truly my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And later he says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The fact of the matter is, freedom and truth are intricately intertwined. You need to know the truth to know freedom. You need to know your purpose, and you need to know your current condition. What do I mean? If you don't know what you are here for in life, how are you to know what you're supposed to do? If you don't know what you're here for, if you don't know what you were designed to do, how are you supposed to know what to do? A Ferrari is a wonderful thing. But if I drive it in the ocean, it's going to quickly become a not-so-wonderful thing. A train is great when it's on the tracks, but when it's liberated from its tracks, it's pretty awful. We need to know what we're designed to do. What is our purpose? In Genesis, in the, in the passage, we see God places them in Eden, and he gives them work, he gives them Dominion over the animals. He gives them responsibilities. They have purpose. They have the community serving one another. And they have intimacy. Intimacy with God. That is your purpose. And you need to know the truth about your condition. In John 8, Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The question of who your master is in life, are you putting your hope for freedom in things that actually fulfill your purpose? Or are you putting it in something else? and becoming an addict. These are strong words. I also want to just make clear, I am not saying to you, if you put your hope in Jesus today, you'll be completely free. None of these problems will ever affect you. Any Christian in the room right now should be going, yes, yes. 
It does not mean you are just suddenly instantaneously free. But you are free in that your relationship with a good, holy, loving, perfect God compared to the mess and addiction and mire that you are in has been restored. That mess has been wiped away by Jesus. We are free in that our relationship with God is restored. And a big word of sanctification or transformation over time is the process of becoming more and more free as you surrender more and more of your life over to Jesus' word. Following his way, being a disciple of him versus a disciple of Callum or Johnny or whoever. He knows the best way to free you. But if you don't know that truth, you're not going to find that freedom. Certain boundaries produce liberty. Certain liberties produce bondage. Truth sets us free. Practically speaking, this passage in John is a very famous passage. You see it in universities around the world. You see it all the time. If you, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The fascinating thing is we like that bit. It sounds cool. It's tweet size. But that's only the second half of what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So often it is easy for us as Christians to get off the rails to be abiding in someone, anyone sometimes, or anything other than Jesus. Are you trusting him? If you're a Christian here today, are you trusting Jesus? Who is master of your life? It's an important question if, you're, if you if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you don't consider yourself um, following Jesus and you're here with us, it's still an important question. Who is really your master in life? Is it really you? Or is it the certain desires you're hoping will fulfill you? Who's your master? Part of my job, I speak to a lot of skeptics, a lot of atheists, a lot of people of other... Um, belief systems. And I've found that oftentimes the greatest barrier to a person deciding, I believe Jesus is my Savior, that I believe Christianity is true. I deal with a lot of intellectual questions, but oftentimes it's a far more personal one. The greatest barrier oftentimes to faith 
is not wanting to give up control of your life. So it's a question worth asking for integrity's sake. If I became a Christian, what would I have to give up? And is it those things that are really holding me back? Or is it that I'm just not sure it's true? I believe you should only believe something if it's true. So it's fair if you're not sure it's true and it's worth investigating in. But to hold yourself back because you want to keep control of your life. C.S. Lewis described it as a child wanting to keep playing in the mud when he's being offered vacation at the beach because he doesn't get what that's like. He's never been there. He's a slum kid. We are far too easily pleased, he said. Jesus can offer you so much more. Vince Vitale uh, was one of my tutors at Oxford University. He said this. He was an atheist, and in college he became a Christian. I had to be honest with myself. It wasn't that there wasn't enough evidence, but rather that I liked being my own God. Friedrich Nietzsche, the famous uh, atheist philosopher of the 20th century, said, if there were gods, how could I bear not to be a god? This is true of all of us. We want to sit on our nice little throne. We need to hand it over to the one who can truly set us free. In exactly four months and ten days, I am getting married, and I'm very pumped about that. As part of that marriage ceremony, we're getting married over in England. In the vows, if you ever actually really think about those vows, they're pretty intense. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. Forsaking all others. Relationships and marriage in some ways being the ultimate example have very strict boundaries. If, if someone you love came up to you and said, I love you, you're the one for me, and then you found out they were going around, I don't know, your workplace or your school and saying to everyone, I love you, you're the one for me, what they said suddenly becomes insipid, it becomes dull, it's not as meaningful. Love wants the truth, it wants that exclusion, you and me. Forsaking all others. But there's no doubt in my mind that I want to still get married. I want those boundaries. And in fact, as I've become closer and closer to my fiance, her name is Joanna, the more and more I have felt free. In a strange way, the more joy I've had. Despite, in some ways, and to some of my uh, friends, they're thinking, you're enslaving yourself. I don't really care. It's worth it. God once decided to be bound for you as well. First, in flesh, he came and dwelt amongst us 
so that we could know him. And then to wood, and he was nailed into that wood for you. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, thank you so much for the liberty, for the freedom that you give, for the purposes and plans you have for every individual and how you know them so intimately and personally, better than they know themselves, every hair on their heads, every thought in their minds. And your plans are to prosper them and not to harm them. Lord, Thank you for sending Jesus to set us free for the purposes you intend. Purposes of intimacy, of right relationships, being freed from addictions that only drag us down. We put our hope in you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I come to thee.